0: Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, please. Reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Hebrews 9, excuse me, 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, I pray your anointing to preach your word your way. I pray your anointing for my friends to hear your word and obey. And may your church be built, Lord Jesus, for you are building it through your word, by your spirit, in this moment, as we draw near to you together, under your word. Help us now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I recall growing up in Miami, how much I used to love going to the beach! And as a little guy, I can remember visiting the beach many, many times with my dad and with my mom. It's actually a fond Father's Day remembrance. My dad, who passed away um, 18 years ago this July, um, was a swimmer. He was an athlete. He, he loved the water. He was born in Cuba, and he loved going to the beach. He was a hardworking man, but there was just a joy in my dad's face when we went to the beach. And being in South Florida, that was very, very often. And I can recall as a little guy standing in the hot sand with the sun beating down on me and, and certainly feeling a call to action. I mean, a, a call was coming from the cool waters of the ocean for me to come and dive in. And, but for some reason, I would just hesitate. Maybe I was just a little guy. I was afraid. I wasn't sure. Could I go in? Did mom and dad allow me to go in alone? I just wasn't sure. And I didn't heed the call to action. So there I stood waiting, sweating, sweating. Feet burning in the hot sand and thinking when suddenly, I don't know, something clicked in me and I responded to the call of action. And usually that meant a full speed run to the water's edge and launching myself as high and as far as my little legs would propel me and hitting the oncoming wave and somersaulting over it and crashing into the cool, refreshing ocean. I mean, that that memory, I must have done that a thousand times. I'd come out and do it again and do it again. and That memory is, is, is in my heart mind, and hopefully that elicits in you a picture. You see, the cool water of the ocean was beckoning me, friends. The waves were calling me to dive in, to commit. And in a similar way, the gospel this morning, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is calling you and me this morning. The gospel is calling us to draw near. It's calling us to dive in. It's calling us to action. My prayer for you today is that this message from this passage, this this message of the cool waters of the gospel of Jesus Christ would beckon you. It would call you to draw near to God. It would call you to action. You see, this passage is about Christ's sacrifice, calling us to action. That's the main point of the passage. Christ's sacrifice calls us to action. There are going to be two main points in this message. The first main point is going to be about Christ's sacrifice, and the second main point is going to be about what he is calling us to do, his call to action. Christ's sacrifice calls us to action. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, and the new covenant that he established with us has been the theme of the last eight chapters we've been studying in Hebrews. From chapter 4, verse 14, all the way through to last week's message, ending with chapter 10, verse 18. The theme has been Jesus Christ, a greater high priest. Jesus Christ, a greater high priest, who's brought in a, a greater covenant, this new covenant. And last week Jesus Christ the greater high priest the greater covenant he brings a greater sacrifice a greater sacrifice and this sacrifice of Jesus Christ provides us now provides us the backdrop for our message today so the central exposition the central theme of Hebrews 4:14 4, to 10:18 comes to an end and now Hebrews 10:19 to 25 tells us it's time for action. It's time for action. You see, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, it's like a hinge verse. Actually, th- this, this section today, it's one long sentence in the Greek. This, this, these verses provide a hinge. They also provide a bookend. So if you can imagine, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, and if you recall, the main point of those passages was draw near to God with confidence. Draw near to God with confidence because you have a great high priest. And today, one of the things that is being commanded is draw near to God with confidence. So if you can think of it as bookends, two bookends, and in the middle of those bookends, you have this theme of Jesus, the great high priest, greater than Aaron. Jesus bringing a greater covenant, the new covenant. Jesus, a greater sacrifice than the sacrifices of the priest. That's come to an end. So you've got these verses 10, 19 to 25 that form a bookend, but they also form a hinge because we're going to now open the door to the rest of the book of Hebrews. And the rest of the book of Hebrews are going to be commandments based on the facts of the gospel. Here's a way you can think of it. Gospel indicatives or facts and gospel imperatives or acts so we 've been studying the truths of who Jesus is and what he 's done and the covenant he 's brought in his great sacrifice now god 's saying it 's time for action guys it 's time for action based on christ 's sacrifice the gospel indicative i 'm now going to give you imperatives or commands or actions to do gospel acts or actions so this 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 is this is a a hinge here it 's a hinge here 's another way of thinking of it this this section tells us what we are to do based on what Christ has done. What we are to do based on what Christ has done. So, let's start by looking at Christ's sacrifice. It's a hinge. Let's look backward first. Let's review briefly because our text does that. Let's look at the gospel facts that we find in verses 19 to 21. Let's look at the gospel facts we find in verses 19 to 21. Notice the first verse there in verse 19. Therefore. That verse tells us we need to look back even further. And what that therefore points to is Hebrews 10, 1 to 18, but specifically verse 14. So look at Hebrews 10:14. The word therefore in Hebrews 10, 19 points us, I believe, to Hebrews 10, 14. It's a summary verse, and let me read it to you. We preached from it last week. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being saved. What's the therefore? Therefore, it's there to remind us that Jesus Christ sacrifice. what it says in Hebrews 10, 14, a single offering has perfected us for all time. Remember, to perfect means to qualify us, to draw near to God, to enable us to enjoy a relationship with God by the forgiveness of our sins and by the cleansing of our conscience. He's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be made fit for God's presence so that we can offer him an acceptable sacrifice. An acceptable sacrifice of worship because of the inward cleansing. So, as it states in verse 19, we have confidence to enter God's presence. We have confidence to enter God's presence because of the blood and body of Christ. That's what verse 19 tells us. It's pointing back to the deeds, the acts, the the very facts of Christ's sacrifice, and it's telling us we now have confidence. I want you to look at two words that you will find. You'll find them in verse 19 since we have confidence, and you will find them in verse 21, and since we have a great priest. Those two words, since, are going to provide us with the basis. They're going to be Here's the, the gospel facts, or indicative, the basis, since, for the gospel acts, or indicative, or commands that we're going to study today. There are three of them in this text. But before we study the commands, we've got to review Christ's sacrifice. So what's the first one? We have confidence to enter God's presence by the blood and body of Christ. That's what it means there in verse 19. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Holy places, that's where God dwells. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So this is clearly speaking, of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. He shed his blood. His body was broken. And now, because he entered into the heavenly places, we can enter in there with him in the presence of God himself. Notice it says a new and living way. Oh, friends, it's a way that gives life, ultimately eternal life. So we have subjective confidence to enter God's presence based on on the objective work of Christ on our behalf. Very important here. We have subjective confidence based on objective actions of Christ. And the second sense we find there in verse 21, we're going to have confidence to enter God's presence. Why? Verse 21, since we have a great priest. Over the house of God. See, Christ is our great priest. Remember, this has been the theme, beginning with Hebrews 4.14, all the way through to Hebrews 10.18. What's been the theme? Jesus, the great high priest. He's greater than Aaron. Jesus, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's all about Jesus, this great high priest. That gospel fact fact. Now produces a gospel act. it gives us confidence to enter god 's presence to draw near to god. Peter T O 'Brien in his wonderful commentary in the book of Hebrews says it this way: The objective basis of our for our approach to God is through the sacrifice of Christ. the objective basis for our approach to God is through the sacrifice of Christ. So since we have confidence to enter God's presence by the blood and body of Christ, and since we have this great high priest over the house of God, friends, we're called to action. These gospel facts call us to gospel acts. These gospel indicatives call us to gospel imperatives. Friends, the cool ocean of the truths of Christ's sacrifice bid us to come jump in. And so many of us stand there in the blazing hot sun. Our feet are burning with the guilt of a condemned conscience. Conscience. We're sweating profusely. We're dry, dehydrated. Our hearts are hard because we don't jump in. (laughs) And he's bidding us jump in. Oh, I pray you jump in this morning. And if you've never known the cool, refreshing waters of the ocean, if you're not a believer, may this be the day that you stop standing at the shore and watching everybody else frolic in the beautiful ocean, and you go jump in. May he give you that grace, friends. So, let us look now, point two. What exactly are these gospel actions? Point two, Christ's call to action. What are these gospel imperatives? And we're going to spend the bulk of our message now on these gospel imperatives. Well, they begin, all three of them, in verse 22, 23 and 24 all begin with a certain English phrase, let us. There's a fancy term for that in grammar, and the Greek is a fancy term for that. Basically, what that means is this. These are the things we're exhorted to do. That's all it means. Strongly. As a matter of fact, for the rest of the book of Hebrews and the last chapters of Hebrews, it's going to be do this, have faith, press in, have love. There's going to be a bunch of commands now for the rest of the book of Hebrews. But they're based on the truths that we've just read about. We have access to God in Christ. Now God calls us to respond appropriately. And that response begins by jumping into the ocean of God's love and acceptance. That's what it means in verse 22. Draw near to God. Let's read it again. Let us draw near with God. A true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, we respond to Christ's sacrifice by heeding his call to draw near to God by the new and living way he has provided. Don't just stand there, jump in. The ocean of God's grace bids you jump in. Now, how are we to draw near? What are the conditions of us drawing near? Well, notice in verse 22. We're to draw near with what? A true heart. Let's take a moment to think about, what is a true heart? Well, that term true, or I think some of your versions could say sincere, that's talking about a focus, a wholeheartedness, a devotion to him. Let me give you an illustration of what it isn't. Here's what it isn't. It's not the way sometimes I talk to some people on a Sunday morning in the hallway. Now, I'm trying to change here. I've got some good friends that are helping me change. But on a Sunday morning, I come, particularly when I'm going to preach, I've come with a lot on my mind. And uh, there's a lot of people that I need to talk to. I'm thinking, okay, I've got to get with David, and I've got to do a sound check on the headset. And I've got to get with uh, other, the other David because I've got my PowerPoint. I need to show he and Chloe how to do it. Oh, and there's, what's his name? And oh, look, there's, there's John. I haven't seen John for a while. And, and so I've got that on my mind. So someone says, hey, Al. And they haven't seen me all week, and they really want to talk to me. So here's what not a true heart is. I go, hey, Mario, how's it going? "Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm really, hey, David, I'm going to talk to you a second. Yeah, yeah, what what happened to your wife? She's what? In the hospital? Yeah. Hey, listen, I want to talk to you, okay? Yeah, right. (laughs) Have you ever talked to someone like that? You're at a party? Oh, it's so great to see you, Roberto. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, hey, good to see you, buddy. Do you feel like you have their heart? No. It's not a true heart. Now, first of all, I want to apologize. I'm trying to change. I'm trying to be focused. When I, when I talk to you here on Sunday mornings, hopefully I lock eyes on you, and if the building's burning down, I'm going to not leave my wingman, you know? I'm not leaving my wingman, you know, the Top Gun thing. I'm just not leaving my wingman. <laughs> that's hard for me. I also have a little ADD, so that's also hard for me, okay? If a fly bu- flies by, it's like, oh, look, there's that fly. But, but a true heart, a true heart... All joking aside, listen, does God have your undistracted attention? Does he? Don't be doing God that way. My little children, we used to talk to them. Say, now, sweetheart, look at daddy. Look at daddy. So we're training them. That's what it means to have a true heart, Friends. It's a heart captured by the Lord's sacrifice, devoted to him because of what he has done. And notice how else we draw near to God. Look at this. Full assurance of faith. See that in verse 22? A true heart in full assurance of faith. And notice what goes with that. Hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here's what that means. You cannot have a full assurance of faith if you carry a guilty conscience. This is the whole point. He cleanses my conscience from dead works, Hebrews 9, 14, to serve the living God. I can't have faith if I'm guilty about what I've done to God and I think he's still requiring payment. What I have is guilt, but not faith. Some people say that the washing of the body there is is talking about baptism, maybe. Others would say that it's talking just, it's the same thing as cleansing the conscience, It's this sprinkling. Ezekiel talks about it in Ezekiel 36 about a new heart. Bottom line is, faith looks back at what God has done, cleansed my conscience, and looks forward to the future. It's a forward-looking faith. I am going to draw near to God with a heart full of faith because it's going to happen. He's going to change me. One day I'm going to be in glory. One day I'm going to have a glorified body. It's a forward-looking faith. I trust him. I'm qualified to draw near to him not based on my works but on what Christ has done. That's how we draw near to God. And here's another thing that we often miss here. Have you noticed that it's in the first person plural? Let us. Let us. God calls us to draw near to Him together. We must heed that call. There is something special. When God's people draw near to him, do I want you to draw near to God tomorrow morning for your quiet time? Absolutely. Do I want you to close your day tonight praying with your spouse if you're married or with your children and draw near to God as a family? Absolutely. But, oh, friends, this command is corporate. Do you come Sunday mornings excited that God's called us to draw near to Him? Do you come Wednesday nights excited that God's called us corporately to draw near to Him and that something special will happen because He's faithful? Don't let a guilty conscience stop you from drawing near to God, either individually or corporately. You're not a hypocrite if you're here right now with a ton of sin that you did last night. You're a broken sinner who needs a Savior, and you're coming to draw near to him because your conscience is cleansed by the sacrifice of Christ, hoping to see him do a marvelous work in your life. And I believe for some of you this morning who are in sin, serious sin, habitual sin, maybe secret sin that no one else knows, there's hope for you. Keep drawing near. Keep coming. Together. God has cleansed you. That's your hope. That's your hope. Now, second imperative. We're looking at now gospel actions, these three imperatives, these three commands, these three actions. First one is let's draw near to God, verse 22. Second one is let's hold fast our confidence of hope, verse 23. Let's read it together, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confidence of our hope. How do we do it? Without wavering. And why do we not waver? For he who promised is faithful. See, we're to hold fast or embrace very tightly our confession of hope together, not just individually. And what is that confession of hope? What is the hope that we're to hold on to? This is not, listen, this confession of hope, it's not hope like a verb, have hope. It's, it's a hope, it's a noun, it's, it's, what, it's what we believe. It's what we believe. Now, let's inform that word hope biblically. Because it was used earlier in Hebrews. You might want to jot down next to this hope. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. I'd like to go there and just read that to you. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. What is this hope that we're to hold on to? Or should I say, that holds on to us? Probably a better way to say it. It's both and. We hold on to it. It holds on to us. Hebrews 6, 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus, there's our hope, our hope is Jesus, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. What is the hope? The hope is the life and death and resurrection and ascension and and, and Christ ruling at the right hand of the Father. The hope is Jesus interceding for you and me right now. He's praying for you. My hope is Jesus. My hope is based on the promises of God. It has substance. It cannot be shaken. And when I let go, it it hangs on to me. But it's both hands. Hold on. Oh, friends, this picture in Hebrews 6.19 of an anchor. Do you realize, do you remember we preached on this? This was one of the main symbols of the New Testament church. They had a cross, they had the fish, and they had an anchor. Why? Because in a storm-tossed world, when Christians are being killed, when life is difficult, when the flesh is attacking me, when I want to hate others, and when others harm me and sin against me, and I don't want to forgive them, when I'm I'm losing my job, when my marriage is suffering, when my children aren't doing what I want them to do, perhaps they're not even believers, when I'm sick in the storm-ravaged life of this fallen world, my anchor, my anchor is Jesus. And he's saying, hold on. Unwaveringly, based on the facts of what he's done, these are the acts we are to do. Why do we waver? I know why I waver. I lose sight of Christ. My problems lose perspective, and suddenly my hand becomes bigger than anything else. And I need Christ to help me and friends to help me just say, ow, ow, pull, pull. Pull it away. It's your hand. It's there. It's a problem. But let's look to Jesus. He's my hope. He's my hope. He's my anchor. And now we come to the third imperative. The third command. First command, man, draw near to God with a true heart full assurance of faith. Second command, hold fast to your hope. Hold fast to what you believe about Jesus unwaveringly. Why? Because God's faithful. The basis of my hope is the faithfulness of God. It's rock solid. It's my anchor. Third imperative. Third command here. Verse 24 and 25. Let us consider. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This word consider, see where it says, let us consider? This word consider carries with it the idea of focusing your thoughts and energies on something. I mean, it has sort of this, this laser beam idea behind it. I mean, it has a range of meanings. Obviously, they didn't have laser beams when it was written. But today, it has this laser beam, like a laser focus, like I'm locked in. I, I'm taking, I'm directing my mind towards something. I'm reflecting on something. And the something is, how can I stir up, provoke, stimulate? How can I, how can I encourage others in love and good deeds? What are you locked in on? Are you locked in stirring up others and encouraging others to love and good works? Or are you locked in on just you? Do, do you come to a meeting ready and thinking about and focusing your energies on how you can stir others up? Even the very fact that you come to the meeting, that stirs people up. Hey, you know, so-and-so's been coming. And when you don't come... It has a negative effect. Man, I haven't seen so-and-so for a while. I wonder what's happening. Yeah, the group's just not the same. What is your life focused in on? Serving self? Stirring others up? Encouraging others to love and good works. Oh, friends, this is a powerful, powerful, powerful commandment here. This commandment is couched in the light of eternity. Look what it says there in verse 25b. As you see the day drawing near. As you see the day drawing near. Do you reflect, think about how you can stir others up and encourage others? Where are your thoughts and energies focused? Do you spend Wednesdays praying for thoughts? Working to make energies? Contribution to home group? Do you say, I mean, these words are powerful words. I'm tired. I'd like to veg, but I'm going to take all that God's given me. and I'm going to pray and I'm going to go and I'm going to discipline myself and I'm going to stir others up. If it's just to be there to pray for that one that's crying. I'm going to encourage them i encourage them with my life. What am I encouraging them to? Oh, friends, look at this. I'm encouraging them to love and good works. Can I just say something here? Have you noticed the three cardinal graces of the Christian life described in verses 22, 23, and 24? That's right. We're to draw near to God in full assurance of faith. We are to hold fast our confession of hope. And we are to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Friends, here we have faith, hope, and love. We have the foundation of Christianity. We have God's command to you, not his suggestions. God's serious about building his church through you. Not so you can get his favor. You've got his favor. We do this because of what he has done from a position of acceptance where his children, we have been qualified to enter his presence. The ocean bids us come and dive in. So we dive in and we swim around. And as we're swimming around and enjoying it, we draw near, we hold fast, we stir up. We don't do it from the hot burning sands of a guilty conscience. We do it from the cool ocean. Of God's grace. But, it's serious stuff. What are these good works? What are these good works that God calls us to do in response to what he has done for us? Well, may I suggest to you that these good works are certainly outward. They're towards your fellow man. Martin Luther once said this, and my good friend J.C. Hernandez uh, made me aware of this quote on Thursday when we met. Martin Luther once said, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. God doesn't need our good works. Hey, Pino, I am justified by grace alone. I don't need to do good works. Okay, I'm staying home, man. I'm just going to do my thing. God loves me. He doesn't need my good works. No, he doesn't, but we do. And he commands you to. Not to gain his approval, you've got it. That's right. He doesn't need your good works. He sanctifies you. He perfects you by the good works of Christ. But, oh friends, he calls you to do good works based upon what he's done for you. Otherwise, how do you interpret Ephesians 2, 10? After this great passage about God's election of us, it's purely God's election. We were dead. He's made us alive. And then in chapter, verse 10, he says, now I want you to do the good works that God's prepared for you beforehand. Not good works to save you, but good works because you are saved. And the Bible teaches that if those good works aren't there, are you saved? That's how serious this is. What are those good works? How do I stir others up? Well, you stir them up through prayer. You stir them up through the word. You stir them up through your example. You stir them up through accountability and holding one another accountable. Where is that, Al? glad you asked. Hebrews 3, 12. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So it's possible for us to have evil, unbelieving hearts, brothers, leading you to fall away from the living God, but, 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 verse 13, but exhort one another every day. What's every day mean? As long as it is still called today. Is it still called today? Then today. Today. That none of you may harden, be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. If, if we hold our original confession firm to the end. This is the exact same word that he's giving us here. Hold your confession firm to the end. How do I do that? Stir one another up to love and good deeds. How do I do that? Gather. 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 Gather together. Christ's sacrifice calls us to action, the action of stirring up one another, provoking one another, stimulating one another. But how can we do that, friends, if we don't gather together? Look at verse 25. God knows that. He employs logic, his logic here. What does it say in verse 25? After he says, consider how to stir up one another to loving good deeds, verse 24, look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together. You want to know the opposite of not stirring up one another? You want to know what disobedience to God's command here means? It means not gathering together. That's what it means. That's what the author is doing here. He's contrasting what it means to stir one another up and encourage one another and what it means to not do it. So you don't gather together, as is the habit of some. Now, why were some of them not gathering together? Well, why do we not gather together? Selfishness. Apathy. I just don't care. Sin, not understanding I've been forgiven by God, so I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I don't want to go. Just selfishness. For them, it was persecution. Many reasons. Many reasons. But, oh, friends, note this. It says in verse 25, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near. The day drawing near. See, verse 25 asks us, how can you care for one another if you don't regularly meet with one another? How can can you fulfill this if you're neglecting to spend time with each other? Both corporately, and I think these are smaller groups, even accountability groups, even one-on-one. And the urgency is this day of judgment. Let me just share something with you. This was exciting. I'm not sure I have my hands fully around this one, but but I love this. Our meeting today foreshadows our meeting together on the day of judgment as God's people. Every time God's people meet today, it says something about that great meeting when he comes back. That is the truth of this passage. That fuels me to want to come, not just to sit here as a dead duty, but as a delight in faith. That I'm preaching something. That I'm receiving something. That my gathering on earth on Sundays or Wednesdays or youth or singles anticipates the final gathering of God's people. It is the earthly counterpart of the heavenly congregation of God's people, so don't neglect it. It doesn't earn me salvation. It's because I have salvation. Are you neglecting it? Are you neglecting it? There's a warning here that the people who deliberately and persistently abandon the fellowship of Christian believers are in danger of repeating the sin of Israel and abandoning the Lord himself. It's a quote from Peter T. O'Brien. No time to get into it, but all of those earlier passages we read in Hebrews. People who deliberately and persistently abandon the fellowship of Christian believers are in danger of repeating the sin of Israel and of abandoning the Lord himself. Let's not do that, friends. But rather, let us stir up one another, encourage one another to love and good works by coming together regularly and exhorting one another all the more knowing the day of God's judgment is drawing near. Now let me leave you with a picture born in prayer to encourage you in applying this message. This picture was born in, in prayer and a, and a heart for you, and a, and a heart to want to care for you. It's born of God's heart to bless you. And it's a picture of a person standing on the beach, facing the water but not going in. It goes with my initial illustration, but it was received independent of my initial illustration. And I believe it's God's heart for us. And this person is standing on the beach, facing the water, but not going in. They're experiencing all the discomforts of the heat of the sun, of sin, of a guilty conscience, perspiring, losing energy, becoming dehydrated, a hard heart, but they're still not going into the water. And at one point, at one point, they try to build a little shelter for themselves out of just whatever they can find on the beach, and the wind comes and just blows it away. Self-effort fear to take this first step to plunge into the water is keeping them in the heat and the longer they stay there the weaker they become and the challenge and the grace that god i believe wants to give you this morning i believe from the lord is this god takes you by the hand and bids you christ's sacrifice calls you to come jump in the water to come jump into the fresh waters of his grace To take that first step, friends, to draw near to God based on what Christ has done. To look long and hard at that. And then, as he calls you, some of you need to hear this. You need to start serving. Some of you need to just take that first step to speak the truth and love to others. Some of you need to forgive others based on Christ's forgiveness for you. Some need to invite others into your lives and said, look, I don't want people to chase me around. I want to come running to you and saying, help me, lest my heart become hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. I take seriously Hebrews 3, 12 to 15. Some of you need to accept Christ's sacrifice for the very first time. You've been standing on the beach, and you need to just go running in. Today is the day of salvation for you, friend. And some, I felt, we felt, God's calling you to stand up for Christ amongst your peers at work. The longer we're out in the sun, the more of a shock that water is. But either way, once we get in, God's provision of relief and help is amazing. So let's take the plunge. Let's heed God's call to action to take that first step individually and then stir up one another corporately because we do it corporately. To take that step, let us draw near to God with full assurance of faith, holding fast our confession of hope without wavering as we stir up one another to love and good works to which God has called us. Please bow your heads in prayer. Lord, I pray right now that you would speak to hearts, that you would speak the truth of your sacrifice, O oh, Father, the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, for us, and that that sacrifice, what Christ has done, would give us confidence now, would, would, would give us the grace now, knowing we have this great priest in the heavenlies interceding for us who died for us and took our sins, made a way for us by his blood and by his body. Oh, we draw near right now. May those who've never drawn near, draw near right now. Bow their hearts right now. Take the plunge right now. Drawn by your irresistible grace. Lord, may we hold fast the hope of our confession. Lord, that we would not let it go. Lord, those that are... are, tempted to let it go because of persistent sin or persecution or selfishness or apathy or bitterness, oh, God, that they would lay hold of it afresh because you're faithful. You promised you're faithful. This hope's the anchor of our souls. It is Christ. And, Lord, may we commit to stirring up one another to love and good works. Those that have been apathetic, Lord, they know they just haven't. They've been lazy, selfish, selfish. Oh, God, stir them up by Christ's sacrifice to answer the call to action and to jump in. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name.